Welcome to Building with Brick, Foundational Wisdom on Coaching, Careers, and Christ. This leadership podcast was spawned by Coach Brickner's book, So You Want to Be a Coach, which is the story of a corporate executive who made a drastic career change and became a head men's basketball coach. Dr. Brickner's book is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook on Amazon.com or go to his website, www.drjoebrickner.com. That's drjoebrickner.com. Now, here's this week's podcast. Welcome back, folks. This is part four of four with Rich Neiman, my guest this week. And Richard, uh, when we left, I, I told you I wanted to talk a little bit about your advice because you've had so many really good life experiences. And first of all, I'd like to ask for your advice to young players. You know, if they want to go to the next level, and somebody came to you, and let's say they're maybe a sophomore in high school or whatever. And they came to you and they said, what do I need to do in order to be able to play college basketball? What type of advice would you give them? Well, I, I, I've, I guess I'd break, I would, I'd break it into two pieces. And, you know, there's certainly the fundamental stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, learn to handle the ball as well as you can. Learn to shoot as well as you can. All that fundamental things that you can find on YouTube today. If you, if you want to learn how to shoot a jump shot, you can go to YouTube and, and, and emulate that. So it, it's that's important, certainly. I really, really feel that the best part of sports are teammates. And I'm not saying this to pander to you or anybody else. We have a granddaughter who is playing D3 volleyball. Whether she'll continue or not, I don't know. But my message is always the joy is the teammates. And um, so I think to be as good a teammate, as good a support individual as you can, will earn you a spot on whatever team you're trying out for. And then if the fundamentals are there and the talent is there, um, that will come through. That's pretty much what I'd say, I think. That's great advice. It really is. I, I found when I was coaching at the college level, the, the fundamentals of Quite a few players that, that played for me weren't great. Uh, they didn't get it in high school like they should have. So we spent a lot of time with them coming out. And they were, they were good athletes. You know, they picked it up and became better basketball players because of the females. Today, in my opinion, I think so many kids skip that step because they're watching all the highlights and ESPN and everything. You know, so instead of practicing their footwork on how do you post up somebody, they're working on their dunks. Right. You know? Exactly. How often do you get to dunk in a game? Maybe <laughs> once if you're lucky. You know, you're right. Really good. You get two dunks. But how many times do you get the ball in the post and you be able to seal some and have the right footwork so you get an up and under or you get a nice little jump hook or what have you. And, and so I found that. And it's, so I think you're right on the money in talking about playing the teamwork thing, the teammate thing is, there's nothing like it. 
And until you experience it, you know, and you have success as a team. Uh, but I just think and success because of the team, not not just to be, you know, I'm 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 this and thanks guys for playing with me. It's it's a it's it's again a community effort. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. How about um, coaches? Now, you've done some coaching yourself. Uh, what type of advice would you give to somebody who's younger and wants to make a career out of coaching? Anything that uh, might help them along? I, when I started coaching, the people that hired you felt like, well, he can coach because he played. Right. And I'm not so sure that that's really true. Um, I know some things because I played. But the other thing you do is you have to study and learn. Um, going to clinics, uh, coaching clinics, and listening to, I guess for a better word, you call them the masters. But when you hear uh, a Bobby Knight, a Lute Olson, or somebody like that speak, again, you can filter through some of the stuff that they're going to say down to the core of what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Rich Grower was just a, a tremendous mentor. Rich was unbelievably organized. So if you were a, a worker in his camp, you knew exactly what you're going to do day in and day out. And, and so I kept all those booklets. So when I had practice, I knew what I was going to do day in and day out. Um, so preparation has to be a part of, a part of your desire to be a coach. My personality, I like to think is more supportive. I, I'm not a very good yeller and screamer. Um, I don't believe in physically touching or, or pushing players around. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've punished players by doing laps or running or whatever it was. And, and I think they all understood why they were doing those things. But as a, as a rule of thumb, that wasn't the go-to, the go-to address. You know, telling a player that, that he's not going to play that day because of something is very hard for me and probably for them as well. But I just think you got to be supportive of, of the, of the students. Try to help them through that way. And we did speak about the guy who says, I became a good player because everybody told me I couldn't. You know, well, that takes a special person. You know, I think the support role is a better one. Yeah, I've always found positive reinforcement in my case. If I got positive reinforcement, I, I listened and I probably became a better player. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like, you know, and my dad was, <clears throat> he wasn't a positive reinforcement type guy. He was, you know, came out of the army and, you know, that generation of guys that are just tough. Mm-hmm. They fought World War II and all this stuff. Right. So, you know, if something didn't go right, he'd be screaming at you and complaining. I, I don't respond well to that. Now, I, I learned, because you will run into coaches like that, and sometimes even teachers like that, and you learn, okay, I'll put up with it, and I'll, I'll do what you're asking me to do, but I really don't want to do it for you. You know, I'm right. doing it for right. me. Yeah. So I think the positive reinforcement thing works better with most people. Right. That would. That's. I hope that's the way I was with, with players. And did you coach both guys and gals? I did. Did um, you notice a difference between 
you know, how you coast. <laughs> I'll, I'll use the joke that the girls always smell better, but um, I won't go there. Um, the, the biggest difference to me was, was the attitude. Um, even in the high school level in the late 80s, guys, some guys felt like they knew it already. Mm. So what can I learn from you? Uh, the reason we didn't win is because your offense doesn't work. Mm. You know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and fortunately, I haven't run into that too, too often with the, with the boys that I've coached. And again, just call it luck of the draw. But that's, I didn't have a major problem with that. The women, when I was doing it, which would have been the 80s and 90s, um, were still, the game was new to them. There was a time when girls had to buy guys' shoes because they didn't have girls' shoes. Uh, a uniform had to be a guy's kind of uniform. You know, all those things that now are taken for granted. Uh, there wasn't a market for women's uh, athletic apparel and women's athletic equipment and stuff. So anyway, they were very, very open to learning, I thought. Um, if you put together an offense, they were going to try to run the heck out of it. And I think today, even, if you watch many times, I find it more fun to watch a WNBA game than to watch an NBA game mm. because the the players are playing together. I know it sounds like a broken record, but they just seem like they're playing together. There's picks and rolls and team stuff as opposed to I'm going to dribble down the court. If I can't get a shot, I'm thrown at the corner and you shoot it, yeah. which yeah. is what I think I see. But who knows? It kind of sounds very similar to your coach at Benedict and Name's Chad Folsom is an absolute great coach. He came about two or three years after I had started there, and so he and I coached at the same time for about seven or eight years. We had to be really good friends and, and shared a lot of information with each other. He came from a junior college men's program and took over a college, a four-year college women's program, and he used a lot of the things that he learned as a men's coach, but he was always sensitive to those girls. And he used to say to me, he says, you know, they'll cry over anything. And he says, I don't know why they're crying. <laughs> he said, I just have sometimes let them work it out themselves. <laughs> but he said, the thing that I really like is when we get on the court and practice, they listen and they do what you ask them to do. Mm -hmm. And he has had tremendous success. Yeah. Got a great winning percentage there. And, and the girls that uh, graduate from his program are quality, quality girls. Mm -hmm. So he found a, a big difference between coaching girls, especially in practice, versus coaching guys mm -hmm. in practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would take a cue from John O'Brien. He the first coach of St. Louis U was a guy named Thad Strobach, who was really the pioneer for women's sports in St. Louis. Now, this is mm -hmm. late 70s, I guess. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Thad then got a job at a Catholic girls' high school and won all kinds of state tournaments. John was a part-time coach, taught at a high school all day and came to St. Louis U and practiced. 
women's sports was uh, in many ways cannon fodder as a way to raise money. They would sign up a game for him in Lincoln, Nebraska. He had to drive the girls, play the game, then drive them back. And meanwhile, the university would, would make money. You know, now they do that on a bigger scale in a different way. But And he would talk about, you know, a kid struggling in class and they got a big test coming up tomorrow. Don't go. Don't, don't make this trip mm-hmm. for that reason. Mm-hmm. You stay home and study. So we'll see you later. And I, I think he's right. Wow. You know, I just, uh, now again, it was division one, but it wasn't the pressure that, you know, that division one coaches feel today. But I think he had the women's best interest at heart in that, in that role. Yeah. You know, what's more important, you being my starting center and scoring 20 and we lose by 35 because the other schools had 10 scholarships and only have five, you know, all that. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, so I lose by 45. But you pass your test and keep going, <laughs> you know. So anyway, that was, I think that's a role model that, that would be well served in some cases. Yeah, yeah, I Kind of experienced some of that at Benedict's because, you know, we were in uh, Division Two at the time, which is that, and it's pretty similar to NCAA Division Three. Mm-hmm. The kids aren't there because they're going to be pro athletes. The kids are there playing basketball because they like to play basketball and they're going to get a degree and get a really good job because they're going to get a really good education. Mm-hmm. But I had a situation that uh, I write about in the, well, I actually didn't even write about it in the book. I, after I was finished writing my book, I had my wife review it. It was the first time she had reviewed it. And she came back and she said, I really like it, except you're missing something. And, you know, I want to go to print. And I said, what am I missing? <laughs> she was right. I was missing. I didn't have feedback from the kids I coached. And so she said, oh, okay. she said go back. And she said, just take three or four weeks and go back and contact the players you, you can get in touch with and see if they'll write about their experience of playing college basketball, playing for you, what lessons they learned, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, okay, I knew she was right. So I did that. <laughs> it's awesome advice. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Wow. And then, so the appendix is about 30, 35 former players. And I didn't change anything. Whatever they mm-hmm. sent me is what I put in there. But one of them brought tears to my eyes. I literally, I started crying. It was a, a young player that I got from Topeka, and he was about a 6'2 post player. Okay. Great footwork, some of the best footwork I've ever seen. But he was 6'2, and I just couldn't play him hardly at all until he finally learned to play with his face in the basket. And so his, his senior year, he was getting some pretty decent playing time. But when he came to us, his family was a Lutheran family, but I don't know how, how often they were going to church or anything. So us being a Catholic school, you know, he, he comes in as a Lutheran. I never tried to force feed kids with, you know, this is a Catholic faith, et cetera. You know, he always exposed them to the positive things. And, uh, he, he got exposed to a group called Focus which is a group that started on Benedictine's campus and now it's in like 250 different campuses around the country. But it basically tries to get young college students to focus on their faith. 
And so he had been around some of these kids, and there was going to be this big focus group convention in Denver. So he came to me, and he says, Coach, he said, I'd really like to go to this convention. And he said, it's Friday, Saturday, and part of Sunday this coming weekend. I know we got a game, and I know we're going to have to leave on Wednesday to drive out there. I went back on Monday. He said, is there any way I can go to that? And at the time, he's like our eighth man. And I'm like, oh, gee, I do here? And so and I prayed about it a little bit and said, okay, you can go. You can go. And so he does. And I forgot totally about this until I get his letter back from him, the email back to put into my book. Because of that, he went to this thing. He decided that he wanted to convert Catholicism. He not only converts Catholicism, he becomes a focused missionary, and he goes to the University of Illinois, and he's there for two or three years running the whole program there. Then he goes and gets his uh, doctorate in theology. He's now teaching theology at Benedictine College. Wow, wow. And I'm going, just think, if I'd have said no, what would have happened to that kid? And, you know, I mean, we were just fine playing without him that one, you know, not practicing and playing, and etc. We were okay, and it makes a difference in an entire life and many, many other lives that he's touched. And I'm not sure if coaches really understand that some of the decisions they make can be life changing. And you don't even know it. You no. don't even know it. Well, the pressure is so great to win and be successful, and you know showcase the school and bring in money for the school, you know, all that. Yeah. And uh, you're right. I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. It's just uh, your story and the one John told me, it, it's, I mean, they fit together. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about, Rich, is put yourself into a, a counseling position, which I'm sure you've been in before, and somebody comes to you and says, I'm either in high school or in college. Can you give me some career advice? How would I go about choosing a career? Is there something that that you can share with us that would help some young people that are in that type of a position? Well, I've learned that I, I think the silliest question you can ask a high school student is, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, <laughs> because I certainly didn't know. And it sounds like many other of us didn't know either. You kind of... So the first thing is that whatever you choose doesn't have to be the final choice. If you're prepared, um, you said early on you took math classes because you thought they were hard. And I agree. You know, you, you challenged yourself. Now you know that there's darn near nothing, anything they can throw at you that you couldn't learn if you, if you wanted to or had to. And I think, I think, so I think preparation um, is the big key. Leaving yourself some avenues. The person that goes to school, I went through this with my grandson. I want to be a music major. And I'm thinking, well, that's an awesome, awesome thing. But how many music majors and, and what, what's their potential? What's their earning potential? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just like, I want to be a basketball player. Well, how many basketball players, you know? How many football players? So I, I just encouraged him to look great. 
you know, get all the music you can, but find something else over here that may be a little bit more marketable. Mm-hmm. But that's about all I could say at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, well no, that's good advice. It really is. And, and as you say, when you're in high school, even in college, you really don't know what you want to be when you grow up. One of the things that I did with my two sons when they were in high school, and uh, actually I think they might even be to did some of this, but I had them shadow different friends of mine. You know, there's an accountant, you know, and there's a banker, and plumber or whatever, you know, just shadow these people for a day and see if that's something that you would like to do the rest of your life. Right. And I know in, in one of my son's cases, uh, he was looking at accounting and thinking that was something he'd really like to do, but after spending a day or two with an accountant, you know, I won't do that all day for the rest of my life, you know. And in the end, we ended up becoming a financier, right? You know, finance, you know, his CFO now, San Diego Airport Authority. You know, and he loves, loves what he's doing. But had he not shadowed, he may have gone the accounting route instead. Uh, he may never have had the opportunity to become a CFO. Anyway, it's uh, it's something that. I'm not sure we, as parents, as teachers, that we share enough of life experiences and get put the young people in a position where they can actually experience something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, getting internships is so important. It had to happen with you. You know, you had that internship. You worked on different things for a month at a time. And you just think of all those things you learned and what you, what you liked and what you didn't like. So. That is, that is exactly, exactly the case. Um, yeah, it, it's the, the way schools have changed, which is, I think my granddaughter is, I don't know, she wants to do something with biology, which is fine, but she's also taking French and they hooked her up. There's a, there's a requirement. And it's called Talk Abroad. There are students who sign up to have a conversation with, over Zoom, with a person in another country. And while it sounds, I don't know what it sounds like, she had a great time. You know, I think over the Thanksgiving holiday, she zoomed in with this young woman in France, and they spoke, and, you know, obviously speaking in in French. And I just think of how valuable that is. You know, not nothing like being in the room with her, but you know, technology is awesome. Yeah. It's used properly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, Rich, this has really been fun. I really enjoyed this time we've had together. Uh, I love you being able to share your wisdom with the folks that be watching and listening to this. You've been an extreme success through your entire life. And after watching or listening to this, people don't understand why. And it's one of the things that I try to do with my podcast is bring people on, not the, the, you know, the superstars or that kind of thing, just the normal, successful people. How did they get there? You know, what are they all about? And it's amazing how many have similar similarities. You know, they almost always have a, a strong faith. They almost always have this tremendous work ethic. Um, so, it's been a pleasure to have you on, and I thank I, you I so agree. much. I feel honored that you asked me. I, I don't know. I just we kind of go down the road. And, and 
I'm just me, so I don't know who cares, but there you go. Well, that was one of the neatest things I I thought about you when, when we first met. Is, you know, you get a guy coming back from the NBA, and, and sometimes these guys just think that they're so much above the rest of us. You know, like yourself, John Brown, you guys were just great people. Just great people, and then we became great teammates together, and uh, it's just a pleasure to have the opportunity to bring people like yourself on here. So I heard John, by the way, yeah, he, and I, he, he has impressed me to no end. He's unbelievable. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. tremendous success. So thank you for sharing everything you've done, and really look forward to getting back together with you soon. We'll have more parties, man. That's what it's all about, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Tell Julie I said hello. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Rich.